Thank you, Daryl. As the praise team has the seat, uh, so I've already shown off my technical skills this morning, and I'd like to say they're getting better, but the last time I preached, about two-thirds of the way through the sermon, I kept hearing something bump, and I found out later on after the sermon, it's hitting my face. So I, I'm not doing any better. Last time I didn't even get it turned on. So hopefully these things are going to go better. Now, I, I, uh, I do want to, I'm going to let the weights back in the back, so I feel pretty good about this. We're going to put something on the screen. Now, I told you I'm going to talk about relationships this morning. So I thought I'd start out with a little humor to kind of have a lighthearted effect before I come down with some things that may be kind of difficult to hear in certain ways. So we want to look at this. Listen, you may appear in one of these, not your actual face, but someone like you, or you may be sitting with someone or close to someone that you recognize. Don't raise your hand and don't point at anybody. Just sit there with your mouth closed and enjoy the humor of it. So let's go. First one, do you feel dominated by your wife? No, he doesn't. (laughs) My wife asked me what the female version of a man cave would be. I told her it's a kitchen. Well, they're having a great laugh, aren't they? Look at those guys. I love this one. I got this puppy for my husband. I think it was a fair trade. (laughs) Oh, this is great. Ask my husband to put the pillowcases on the pillows. (laughs) But that makes perfect sense. Father, all day long I keep hearing this voice telling me what to do. Am I possessed? No, my child, you're married. (laughs) And the last one. What's for dinner? Husband says to wife, nothing. We had nothing last night. Wife, I know I made enough for two days. (laughs) So, so don't, again, don't raise your hand, but that's, that's some pretty good humor for husbands and wives. One of my, one of my friends who I play golf with is here this morning, sent me these some time ago. I thought I got to use these. These are good. Listen, I hope you got a copy, a a bulletin when you came in with an outline on it. We're going to be looking at that. And if you did, you'll notice on the outline that the title of the sermon is Spiritual Leadership, God's Design for the family. Now, spiritual leadership is a phrase that has become somewhat of a catchphrase in the Christian community. Christian wives want their husbands to be spiritual leaders. Some girlfriends want their boyfriends to be spiritual leaders. Fiancés want the person that they're going to spend the rest of their life with, oftentimes, to be their spiritual leader. I've talked to a number of people who have said that the problem in their home is that the dad or the husband just won't seem to step up and be the spiritual leader. But in all of those discussions, one thing is clear, and that's this, that it's not clear exactly what it means to be the spiritual leader. Everybody seems to have their own definition. And while as Christians, we tend to agree that men should somehow be the spiritual leaders, what exactly does that mean? Consequently, because it's not very clear, at least not in the minds of many believers, sometimes there is a a tension that develops for some ladies. There's this expectation that seems to hinge upon their husband's ability to initiate certain things in the family or to do certain things or even to know certain things. Wives want their husbands to be more knowledgeable about the Bible. They want them to be able to lead the family in prayer and lead the family in family devotions. They want them to be a more effective witness so as to be a better example for the children. And they want them to become involved, some of them, in the leadership of the church family. And a lot of men look at that and go, wow, that's what it means to be a spiritual leader. Count me out. I mean, I'm not sure I can do all of that. And so generally speaking, men go in one of two directions. Some of them just withdraw completely. And they'll say things like, honey, you know what? You're better at that than I am anyway. You, you, you do that. And they just walk away completely. And then others, uh, 
go totally in the opposite direction and almost in an uncomfortable way. Try and talk about God all the time or maybe try and make every moment around the table a teachable moment or do other things to enhance both their wives and their expectations of what it means to be a spiritual leader. So oftentimes there's tension. Oftentimes expectations are just not clearly defined. And yet as men, somehow we feel the need to be the spiritual leader. So what does it mean to be the spiritual leader of the family? What does it mean to be the head of the home? That's what I want to share with you this morning as we focus on fathers and as we focus on men and their relationships in the home and their responsibilities in the home. Uh, So take your Bibles, if you would, or your iPhone, or if you have a copy of God's Word on the bulletin, it's going to be on the screen as well, uh, and look at Ephesians chapter 5, because in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul explains very clearly what it means for a man to be the head of the home, what it means for him to be the spiritual leader of the family. I'm going to be reading verses 20 through 28. Uh, This is God's inspired, inerrant word. Listen to it. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, if you're a young lady and you're here today and you're not married, you may not have plans to get married in the immediate future, I want you to listen carefully because along the way as a single young lady, there may be expectations laid upon you to find a guy who is a spiritual leader. And along the way, people may try and define for you what that means. And if you're not careful, you could set up an expectation for the man that you hope to marry one day that is not an expectation from God, but rather something that's been developed by people, albeit well-meaning people, in the evangelical community. If you're here today and you are married, you may be one of those ladies who just can't seem to get her husband to step up and be the spiritual leader. I want you to listen as well because you may be better off today than you thought. You see, your expectations and understanding of spiritual leadership may be something that's been handed to you and not something that's actually come from Scripture. So listen as we share what God's Word has to say about this very important topic. And then one other group. Men, there is a tendency for us to do spiritual things with our families or to do spiritual things even in a dating relationship and yet miss the primary responsibility and the ultimate kernel of truth that goes with being a spiritual leader. I want you to listen as well, because you very well may be in that camp today. You may be sitting here right now thinking, you know, I know I'm the spiritual leader in my family. I mean, I do this and this, and I initiate this and this and this. And while there may be a lot of spiritual activity in your family, you may have missed the heart of what it means to be the spiritual leader of your family. So let's see what Paul says about this. He's going to give us two things. He's going to give us two aspects of spiritual leadership. The first, and it's on your outline, is the positional aspect. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, why would Paul say a thing like that? Because, verse 23 or 4, the husband, listen, if you write in your Bibles, circle that next word, is. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ, here it is again, is the head of the church, his body. 
and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see, the first thing we discover in terms of understanding spiritual leadership is that spiritual leadership, and this is on your outline, is a position that has been assigned to men. Men, you have been appointed as the head of your home. You have been appointed as the head of your wife. You have been appointed as the spiritual leader in your family. You don't have to sign up for it. You don't have to study for it. You don't have to know anything. You don't even have to promise to do anything. Men, when you said, I do, you became the spiritual leader in your house by appointment. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's not what I intended. We say, listen now, this is important. It doesn't matter what you intended because, you see, God created marriage. And therefore, he sets the standards. And one of the standards he set forth is that part of the responsibility of the husband is that he is the spiritual leader. Now, ladies, this is good news for you. If you're married, you have a spiritual leader. Isn't that great? Some of you have been praying for years that one day you'd get one, and today you found out you already have one. That your husband is the head of the home. Doesn't matter if he acts like it. He is the head of the home. He doesn't have to try to be. You don't have to pray him into it. Men, regardless of how much scripture you can quote, regardless of how long you may have been a Christian, regardless of whether or not you like to share your faith, if you're married, you are, by appointment, the spiritual leader in your home, period. That's the beginning place. Now, you might say, well, where do you get that? Well, look at the comparison. Verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Do you know why Christ is head of the church? Because God appointed him head of the church. On your outline in Ephesians 1.22, it says, And he, meaning God, put all things under his, meaning Jesus, feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. In other words, God said, Jesus, my son, you are the head of the church. I am placed in the church under your authority. Now go. It was an appointment. And just as God appointed Christ as head of the church, men, whether you like it or not, whether you think you're up to it or not, you have been appointed by God as the head of your home, the head of your wife, the spiritual leader in your family. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that's news to me. I was kind of hoping one day I could be it. Lo and behold, I am it. What does that mean? Well, it means a number of things, and we're not going to talk about a lot of them, but we're going to talk about the most important, in my opinion, and that's this. Men, you and I, we are responsible for everything that happens in our home. And spiritual leadership is about accepting the appointment as head of the home, and along with accepting the appointment as head is accepting complete and total responsibility for everything that happens in the home. Now, some of you think, well, that's not news to me. My wife's always telling me I'm responsible for everything. Well, there's a difference. What she means is she thinks you're to blame for everything, okay? <laughs> but, but that's not what this says. God says, man, everything that happens in your home that's bad is not your fault. But, sir, regardless of what happens, good or bad, you are responsible. And spiritual leadership's about stepping up to the plate and taking responsibility for everything that happens under your authority, is head of the home. Now, man, let's be honest. We really have a hard time explaining this to our wives. I think you have to be a man to totally understand this. But there is something on the inside of you and something on the inside of me that sometimes just doesn't want to take all that responsibility. In fact, there's something on the inside of me and something on the inside of you that oftentimes wants to say, Honey, you know what? You're better at that than I am anyway. You take it. And ladies, believe me, there is something on the inside of you that sometimes just wants to say, you know what, I'll take it. Now, do you know why? Because in the Garden of Eden, 
Adam and Eve sinned, and everything turned upside down. And what Paul says to us in this passage is so important. He says, men, regardless of how you feel, even though there's something inside of you that makes you want to run, a button that's pushed, even though there's something inside of you that makes you want to act irresponsibly, men, you're responsible. You've been placed as the head of the home. You are responsible. The buck stops with you. And then when you and I refuse to take that responsibility seriously, then what we do is we place a burden. We place an emotional weight on our wife that God never intended her to carry. And even though she might be very capable, she might be smarter, she may be more able than you, when you give to her a responsibility that God has handed to you, it's only a matter of time, and your marriage will begin to turn upside down. Now, men, listen carefully. I was 15 years into my marriage before I began to take seriously this principle of spiritual leadership and responsibility. Our family was doing a lot of spiritual things. We were members of First Baptist Church downtown. Cheryl sang in the choir. I was a Sunday school teacher, and uh, I was a deacon in the church, and I was actually chairman of the recreation committee. We had about 2,500 people in that church. That was a huge task. We were doing all kinds of spiritual stuff. But my failure to take responsibility in key areas of our marriage placed a burden on my precious wife that she should never have had to endure. And as a result, our marriage began to turn upside down. Why? Because I delegated responsibility to Cheryl that God had clearly given to me. Men, listen to me. You can delegate jobs. You can delegate tasks. You can delegate chores for the children. You cannot delegate responsibility. God handed it to you when you said, I do. You are the head of your home. You are the head of your wife. And you are responsible for everything that happens in that home. Men, it's our responsibility to learn to communicate to our family. Honey, kids, I'm responsible. And I'm taking this responsibility seriously. There are things that are out of my control. And there are things that are not my fault. But I'm involved. Because I'm responsible. Men, do you know what happens when you refuse to take that responsibility? You know what happens when we fail to communicate to our family that we're in charge of what's going on? Eventually, our wives and our children lose respect for us. Just as you lose respect for anyone in society who fails to take responsibility for what you know they're responsible for. You may have had that happen at work. Something bad happened. The boss or manager of that department comes in and points a finger at somebody. And even though it may not be the boss's fault, something in you toward that person of authority dies a little bit because you saw a person shirk their responsibility. Friends, we can always find somebody else to blame, can't we? We can always find somebody else to blame. And we lose respect for those who won't step up to the plate and take responsibility for what we know they're responsible for. We lose respect. Anybody in here seen the, the, I think it's a Netflix series called Waco? Seen any of that on? I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with the situation. In 1993 in Waco, Texas, there was this awful disaster where these children were killed and their parents were killed, and it was just a big mess as cult leader David Koresh led these families down the path of destruction. The name of the, the cult was the Branch Davidians. And I remember... Afterward, there was all this talk about whose fault it was. You know, was it the government's fault? Was it the, the, the cult's fault? And he just went back and forth for a few, a few days at least, maybe longer. And, and I'll never forget 
Janet Reno, who was the Attorney General at that time, and frankly, she wasn't one of my favorite people, but I'll tell you what she did. She finally stepped up to the plate and said, you know what? My department's responsible for this. I'm responsible. And the next day after that confession, her public opinion, her, her uh, position in public opinion just soared. Not because she did anything to solve the problem, but because she said, it's my department. I'm responsible. The buck stops here. And the respect level of the American people rose. Do you know why? Because it's a principle. Even when people make wrong decisions, we have respect for them when they take responsibility for what we know they're responsible for. And our wives and our children, they're not expecting us to be perfect, but they need, they need for us to take responsibility. And when we don't, over time, our respect gets chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. And then when the respect level drops to a certain point in your house, then your influence level drops as well. And then when we lose the respect of our wives, we lose our influence over them. And then we have to resort to, well, I'm the boss. I'm in charge. And you have to resort to commands because we've lost our influence. People will not follow willingly someone they do not respect. And people do not respect people who will not take responsibility. Now, men, we're responsible for everything in our home, but are we always to blame? No. Are we always at fault? Not necessarily, but we are. We are. We are responsible. Now, our excuse for the, all of this is, well, yeah, sure, there's some things in our family that maybe have gone wrong, but you don't understand. My wife brought some of these problems into the marriage. I mean, some of this stuff happened long before I came along and asked me to ask me to own these problems, considering their magnitude and considering the fact that I wasn't even there when it happened. That's just too much. It's just not my fault. I'm just not to blame. And that would be a good excuse except for one problem. Paul says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Do you know what we have at Calvary? We have a picture of Jesus Christ saying, Heavenly Father, these people have a lot of problems. Father, it's not my fault. But because I'm responsible for them, I'm going to own their problems. Their problems are now my problems. And their big problem, which is sin, is going to become my main concern. And Father, if it takes having to die for these people, even though it's not my fault, even though I'm not to blame for their sin, even though they got themselves into this, since I'm responsible for them, therefore I will die in order to solve their problem. And with that in mind, the Apostle Paul says to me, and he says to you, men, own the problems of your home, just as Christ owned the problems of the church. Take responsibility for the things in your family that are not your fault, just as the Lord Jesus Christ took responsibility for the church. And all of a sudden, all of those excuses and those issues that we kind of try to dance around, they all are just kind of pushed aside because the standard becomes the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died for our sins. And because of that death and because of that resurrection, he lives again. And if we truly put our faith in him and trust in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, it says that God offers to trade his righteousness for our sin. Now think about that. God is willing to give us something of immeasurable worth in exchange for our worthless sin. Wow, what a deal.
What a Savior. Now, men, before we move along to my second point, let me ask you. Is your family convinced that if they're concerned about it, you're concerned about it? Is your wife convinced that her concerns are your concerns? That you're just not going to let things go on and on and build up and then point a finger and blame somebody? Are they convinced of that? Because if not, your respect and your influence is at stake. And if you don't address it, before long, everything will begin to turn upside down. And your precious, precious wife, who is so very capable, will bear the responsibility just so long. And then it will begin to take its toll emotionally. It will begin to take its toll physically. And you'll begin to wonder, what's wrong with her? And it could be that the problem started with you because there were other things to think about. And besides, that's not my problem. Spiritual leadership's about understanding that you have been appointed as the head of the home. The buck stops with you. Men, you are responsible. Now, excuse me, from there, the Apostle Paul goes on to a more practical aspect of spiritual headship. That's my second point on your outline, and uh, it won't be as long as the other, so don't worry, you won't be in here too long. It's a little bit surprising when you look at this. Now, if you know this passage, you won't be surprised, but if you'd never read this passage and you heard the Apostle Paul say, men or wives, I want you to submit to your husbands, the Natural assumption would be that you would think that he would then turn to the husbands and say, since your wives are submitting, you must now rule. You must now control. After all, the flip side of submission is rulership, right? If someone's uh, going to submit to you, they're expecting you to teach them, to guide them, to lead them, to rule them, to control them. And he surprises us. He says the flip side of submission isn't any of that. The flip side of submission, this is on your outline as well, is love. Look what he says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, as your wives submit, you're to respond how? By loving her, not by setting up a command post. Our response to submission is love. Now, do you know, men, why so many women hit the roof over this submission thing? It's because they've never been loved. It's because they're afraid, and they ought to be, a lot of them. They know if they submit, their husbands is going to walk all over them. But, men, this, this verse that we're so quick to grab, ours is a greater responsibility. Because to submit to someone is just to say, have your own way. To love, to love is synonymous with sacrifice. He goes on. You see, the good news here, men, is that he's not commanding us. Listen now. He's not commanding us to feel a certain way. When he says love your wives, he's not saying feel loving, feel passionate, feel attractive. Those are all great things, and those all come as a result of what he is saying. But look at what he's saying. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Explain that, Paul, and gave himself up for her. See, this isn't about feeling good. This is about sacrifice. Paul says, men, Jesus Christ loved the church in such a way that after he arrived and began interrelating and interacting with the church, the church was better off after he came than before. Now, men, let me ask you something. Is your wife better off now that you've come along? Or is she kind of thinking back to those good old carefree easy days? Well, I had it made to a bozo here came along and messed things up. <laughs> men, you know... You know how your wife's loving you. You know how how you'll know. She'll be able to say to you in her own words, my life's so much richer. My life's so much better. I can't imagine life without you. My life's better because you're here than it would be 
If you were to leave, then it would be if you were to go away. That's how you know you're loving your wife. He goes on and on. He doesn't stop there. He says, verse 26, listen to this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without stain or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be without blemish. I mean, there's kind of all this flowery stuff, and some of us men are like, what? How does that relate to me? And I suspect the Apostle Paul knew we might ask that question because look what he says next. (laughs) He says, let me boil it down for you. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Oh, I can relate to that. I'm real sensitive to me. I take real good care of myself. You guys do too. If I'm hot, I fix it. If I'm cold, I fix it. If I'm hungry, I fix it. If I'm tired, I fix it. I'm very sensitive to me. And Paul says, okay, if that's the way you need to think about it, I want you to become as or more sensitive to the physical, mental, and emotional needs of your wife as you are to yourself. That's what it means to love your wife. I mean, you see, most of us have been told all our life that we're insensitive. The problem's not that we're insensitive. We're all very sensitive. The problem is it's just all focused on us. I mean, I'm so sensitive to me, and you're so sensitive to you. And Paul says, you know, you're going to have to turn this around and, and refocus that so that you're, you're being sensitive towards someone else as Christ gave himself up for the church. That is, he put the church first. He says, men, spiritual headship's about putting your wife first, loving her as Christ loved the church. Now, there's a sense in which it would have been a lot easier if the Apostle Paul had said... Uh, Spiritual leadership's about the following five things. You know, pray with your family, be sure and provide for them, those kinds of things. That would have been kind of easy. But instead, he sets us up with something that on one hand is easier because we can all do it. I mean, you don't have to go to seminary or Bible college or know anything. But on the other hand, it's much more difficult because, listen, because it strikes at the core of our selfishness. See, I don't want to take responsibility for all that. I've got other things I could do with my time. See, subconsciously, guys, here's the way we think. Now, get ready. I didn't marry you for you. I married you for me. You know, when you're through our minds, we don't think, I'm not marrying this other person to make their life better. I married them to make my life better. And in my egotism and pride, just assume their life would be better spending all that time with me, right? I was kind of waiting for an amen for Cheryl over here, but I'm not getting it. But listen, don't, don't lose the thought. All of that begins to change. All of that begins to change when we take time to take responsibility. And, you know, the thing we've got to stay with is that that thought I just said about obviously trying to be funny. But when when we look at our marriage, every man that gets married thinks that's going to be the case. And he does. He thinks his life's going to be bad. I don't think we can fault each other for that. It's just part of being human. But for things to work once we get on the inside, our attitude's got to change. And, and for my marriage and your marriage to, and to work like we want it to and certainly to be what God wants it to be, you know, we're going to have to decide that I'm going to love this woman as Christ loved the church. I'm going to put what she thinks, what she needs, and what she, uh, she wants ahead of what I think, what I need, and what I want. And when that happens, I am loving her. And Paul says, that's the only way it's going to work. Because that's what Christ did for you. Now, you know something? It's a lot easier to do a lot of spiritual things 
than it is to do to do that. It's a lot easier for me when my kids were growing up to be sure they were in Sunday school and church every Sunday. It was a lot easier to do that than it was to love my wife like Christ loved the church. It was a lot easier to, uh, to, to be sure that my wife looks pretty and has the things she needs and has a nice car. It's a lot easier to do that than to be more sensitive to her needs than my own. I mean, man, we, let's face it, we're just great at convincing ourselves of the things we need. It's just how selfish we're. We're just great at that. We can convince ourselves that we need most anything. And here's how this works, okay? Honey, you won't believe this, but I got a deal on a bass boat today. It's, I had to get it. How much was it? It's just $20,000. And as her eyeballs get this big, as big as the room, you say, but you don't understand, this is it steel. Some of these boats go for $75,000, $100,000 brand new. I just had to have this. I needed this. That's how we go. And then we turn the other way, and we are really great at convincing our wives of what they don't need. Easter shoes. You got Easter shoes last Easter, didn't you? You see, you see the disparity, you know, $20,000 bass boat, pair of Easter shoes, whatever they cost. That's how we think. We get in that convincing mode that we can convince our wives they need most anything. Now, I'm going to give you a free tip here, guys. This is not going to cost you anything extra. So my wife, Cheryl, she is a frugal shopper. In fact, for those of you who don't know, our pastor, Troy, is very frugal. In fact, some would call him cheap, right? Even son back there might, Trent, right? <laughs> he would be very proud of Cheryl. When she goes shopping, she gets the best deals everywhere. And so she comes in one day, this is many years ago, and she's got a, a shoebox, been shopping. And so I say, hey, what you got? Now, it's either a pair of shoes or a rescued animal, one or the other. <laughs> and in fairness to me, she's brought home both. So I'm asking that. And so she says, oh, i got a really good deal on these shoes today. And she opens the box up and shows me these really nice shoes and said, I got these for whatever. And it was a tremendous price. Now, what I should have said was, that's really good. And I just let it go. But instead, I said, oh, that is a good price. That good a deal. You should have just gotten two pair. Kind of snide-like. Next time she did. So just remember, you're better off to keep your mouth shut sometimes when you're dealing with these things. But you know, all of that, all that really does begin to change. It begins to change when we begin to take seriously our appointment as spiritual leader. You know what Paul's saying, if I could sum it up in phrase? Spiritual leadership's about love. To lead is to love, and to love is to lead. Leading our families is not about ruling or commanding or controlling. Leading our families is about loving. It's about putting them first. It's about tuning in to their needs, their desires, their wishes, their hopes, and their dreams. It's about, and this is tough, guys, it's about giving ourselves up for them. That's what it means to be a spiritual leader in the family, practically speaking. Now, as I close this morning, I just got to tell you, this whole passage explains a mystery to me. It explains why I can walk into a home sometimes and dad doesn't talk all that much about God. Uh, there's not any Christian music playing. And there's nobody speaking about things, spiritual things overtly. And yet it's the kind of home that once you've been there for a while, you kind of sense some calmness and some security there. The kind of home that you think, you know, this is the kind of home I'd like to have. This is the kind of home I'd like to raise my children in. You know what I'm saying? And then you come to another home and they... You go up to the door and you knock on the door and there's a big cross knocker on the door. And don't take offense at that. I've had one on my house for years. But you go in and every, every picture's a framed scripture verse. There's Christian music playing. There's Christian books everywhere. 
But underneath all that stuff, there's some insecurity. There's some bad relationships. You look at the children and you look at the way they talk to each other and the way they relate. And you think, you know what? You, come, you think back to the other house and you think, wow, that's the kind of house I like to have raise my children in. What you realize is that there's a house where dad has decided to love his wife and children like Christ loved the church. And the other house, with all of its trappings and all of its promise of Christian things, is sometimes a home where dad's done a lot of the Christian things in order to sidestep the real issue. I'm responsible. And my wife's wishes, needs, hopes, and dreams come before my own. But you see, friends, that's the essence of spiritual leadership. Sin has messed us all up. It's caused us to put up walls. It's caused us to act in ways that we're not even comfortable acting. But love, God's love, is the most powerful power there is. And men, if you'll commit to put your wife first, like Christ did the church, her response will be a feeling of security and trust. Because that's what submission's about, isn't it, ladies? Being able to trust a man with all of your heart, all of your life, all of your soul, and your emotions. Because it's in every woman, just as it's in every man, to want to be respected and looked up to. You know how I know? Because that's how God designed us when he created the universe and everything in it. So my question to you as we close, men, is twofold. Number one, does your family know that you're responsible? And number two, are you loving your wife? And if so, your home will make it. God will honor it, and you will have positioned yourself to receive the blessings that he wishes to pour out on Christian homes and families in this culture so that the world might look at us as Christians and ask why and how, and so that we might have the opportunity to say, Because God created marriage. He sets the standards. And his standards make for joyful and enduring homes. Men, God's called us to be the spiritual leaders. You're up for it because you can do these two things. My prayer and challenge to you this morning is that you take responsibility and that you love your wife. That leads to my final thought. It's on your outline. Husbands who take responsibility and love their wife will provide a godly home and stability for the family. Let's pray together.